if let's say we are looking into my news, um, there are a few things to take in, to take note lah. Uh, number one is that are you comparing my news to Family Mart? All right, because I can tell you right now, even for me personally, if I have both Family Mart or my news in front of me, I would personally still go to Family Mart. So it is not about comparing um, which one is superior because at the moment I have to say that Family Mart is definitely superior. But when it comes to investing, you know, um, I think you know I, I have. Before we begin the podcast, have you gotten your free ebook? It's called the Build a Six-Figure Portfolio Guidebook. Now, inside it, we share with you the tips and tricks to bring your stock investing skills to the next level. The best part, it's only 10 pages long and it's totally free. Whether you're on Spotify or YouTube, the link to download is in the description or you can go to www firl.co slash f-r-e-e or www.firl.co slash free hello everyone welcome back to the firel podcast um it's been a while rondi no need to introduce you again <laughs> hey thanks mj happy um, happy to be here again yeah yeah i think this this will be the first time you'll be okay you are the only uh, first of all i think you're the only guest that come back three times mm. Uh, and <clears throat> all three times, I just realized you are sitting in a different place. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. right? You're right. <laughs> so very, very unique. I don't think anyone will uh, have that privilege, right? Mm. So the, I mean, you know, uh, for for repeater guests, usually we just want to get an update, right, on okay. what has been happening in in, when in was, your investment. When was the last time I was here? Do you remember? It's not. It's almost a year. So it's we we you are one of our earliest guests here in this mm. office. Last that would have been November, like that. November, October, somewhere there. Yeah, I think October, and then it was Correct. at sometime in November or something, right? Correct. So yeah. you are looking at ten. I want to <coughs> say ten months ago, give or take. Mm, mm. Right, yeah. right. Ten, eleven months. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, Time let's flies, go. Man. Yeah, man. Like let's go right into it because certainly the mood <laughs> ten months ago and the mood now quite different. Yeah, quite different. Yeah. And uh, yeah, maybe just give a sense of. How is your 2022 right now in terms of investments? And of course, what are you looking at? Right, right, Ken. Uh, I, I think, you know, um, I was just doing, I think I did like my first half 2022 review yes. uh, and I posted it in Stockbit. And I was just actually reminiscing about the last time I was here. Mm. You know, I, I remember on our second podcast, I was talking to you and John and, and we were like, I was I was saying you know John like you know um, thirty years from now we would look back in like twenty twenties right as an era of you know silly money lah yeah like it was how easy it is to make money because uh, valuation of this company and that company you know it was silly money I mean, valuation all, didn't matter for yeah that <laughs> yeah we all we all knew it was silly money so I think um, the, the 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 sad thing is that. It was just like after one or two months after that, you know, the the downturn started, like, You know, the collapse. The had beginning, started. yes. <laughs> so um, I suppose, you know, my twenty twenty two because um, fact of the matter is, uh, I am whilst I I always advocate for a balanced portfolio, I do always have a bias against growth stock. So I think um, in my twenty twenty two, as as I mentioned in in my post in Stockbit, I am down. Um, 
as of first half, I think I was down about 15% or something like that. You know, it's nothing to shout about, you know. like <laughs> in, in some ways it is. I mean, a lot of yeah. people are down. And um, yeah, so it basically sort of like wiped out my 2020, almost wiped out my 2021 gain. Right. But of course, I would say like in the past July and August, one and, one and a half months, you know, um, things had sort of like picked back up. But, you know, whether or not it's a, it's a bear rally or what, you know. Bear rally, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> so, so speaking of speaking of bears, right? What do you what do you actually think about this whole thing? Because, I mean, there are things like uh, if you're looking at the economic data, right? I mm. mean, the U <coughs> the U curve is inverted really, and uh, there there are certain signs of recession. And in one sense, everyone thought 2020 was the recession. Mm. Then liquidity got pumped in to prop the market up in various ways, right? And we, we saw multiple bubbles, right? Uh, yep. Whether it's the tech, the crypto bubble and whatnot. And so do you think that the real recession is here? Because if you don't, let's say if you, if you don't treat 2020's downturn as a recession, mm. we are approximately, if since 08, nearly the 14 years, bull run. Yeah, I think uh, that answer honestly, you know, I'm not, I'm, um, I'm not an economist uh, by by any profession, you know. So uh, whatever that I answer may or may not be accurate. There's a lot more sources online that that will be able to tell you better on whether or not we are in inflation. We are, you know, the the inflation, the situation of sure. the inflation, the recession, and everything. I think for me, you know, because I I sort of manage um, a small pool of funds, right. uh, a family some family office funds, you know. I think for me, the fact of the matter is just that um, I feel like in my simple understanding of invest investment and investing, I think there is a higher probability that you know the market is uh, gonna continue in the bear run. Um, it's gonna just be worse off um, than for it to sort of like recover to to to, to basically beat another all time high. You know, so I, I, I do think that is, in terms of probability, that is uh, what it is. And therefore, um, I would say that, you know, even in my portfolio, my personal investment portfolio, I just do not understand why I, I, I would give up liquidity at the moment. So in my actively managed portfolio, I'm at the moment about 55 to 60% cash. Yeah, um, I have been trimming a lot of positions, you know, so... I am just on the on the sideline lah, basically, and I do like uh, basically some short term trades here and there, um, and that's that's the way I've been managing the portfolio so far. But I do I do want to sort of like highlight right um, because I and I've always highlighted this um, either in Stockbit or in some other um, talks that I have been invited into. Um, I think the narrative of um, you know. Uh, this narrative that was, I think, made famous by Ray Dalio, uh, yeah. Ray, Ray Dalio, that cash is trash and all that. Mm -hmm. I think those um, those are dangerous words, in yeah. my opinion, because um, that narrative actually lost a lot of people's money, myself included. And I think it is important that you know every investors really understand um, the term of, or rather, where their financial position is on whether they are a short-term investor, they are a trader or long-term investor. I know that Firal always uh, preaches about long-term investment. Right. But for instance, you know, like, what is your definition of long-term investment, right. um, uh, MJ? So <coughs> typically, we would say about minimum la, a year, but ideally three to five. Right. Yeah. So 
I think I agree to that. You know, like t- three to five, maybe is a little bit short in my opinion. Maybe I could even right, like be right. up to ten years. But I think what is more important is if let's say you're th- you're terming yourself as a long term investor and that you are investing to build wealth, right? Um, you also need to understand like where is your sources of income. You know, I think long term investor uh, bodes well if let's say you have got a, a secure and sort of like cons- constant stream of income, be it like, on a monthly basis, like your full-time job, you know, um, quarterly basis or yearly basis, I'm not sure, yeah. And if, let's say, you are, like, talking about a short-term investment per se, it is probably mostly in line with, I don't know, people managing some small pool of funds or maybe, like, uh, you are an elderly that have got, um, like, a pool of savings of which is not going to grow anymore, you know. So these are the sort of thing that perhaps you need to consider before, uh, deciding what to do with your investment, or before you're categorizing whether cash is trash or not, you know. Because if let's That's say true. you 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 are no longer working, and basically say you're like uh, 40, 45 years old, and then you 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 decided that you're gonna retire early or something, and you have a a, a very good small pool of savings, and you're bringing this into investment, you then really you know you don't really have that sort of like your wealth creation doesn't ha- that have doesn't have that security of like recurring income uh, yeah, on, yeah. A, on, a, on a regular basis. So you can't really like do a dollar cost averaging, you know, you can't build your position over time. Right. So you really need to look after your cash, you know. But if let's say you are somebody that is maybe like uh, yourself or even like myself, um, you know, that we have some recurring income on a monthly or quarterly or yearly oh, yeah, basis. Some sort of earning so, power. Like. Yeah. So, yeah. So that is how I would, Personally, for me, that's how I'm categorizing my investment. I have, like, I think I think a lot of people like these terms that, you know, short-term investments should be called, like, ichihan portfolio. Ah, and then the other ah. one is, like, do not touch portfolio. This sort of, you know, you can categorize it into those manner, lah, right? right? So, um, for, for me and for, for my active investments, uh, these are basically my short-term investments. I am very, very bearish. Um, and I am right now at 55% cash, okay? And just as I mentioned earlier, the reason of why that percentage of ratio of cash to equities holding is just because I just feel that there's a higher probability that the market is going to be worse off um, in the next few months than for it to continue going up, basically. Um, And yeah, I am doing some sort of like short-term trading here and there just to sort of like make up the numbers. But um, the notion of cash is trash is actually perhaps uh, true if, let's say, you are a long-term investor. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So I think I just need to sort of like get that clear because I, I do feel like a lot of uh, Malaysians, a lot of uh, young millennials are a little bit uh, confused on that notion. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you feel it um, between your community. Um, I, th- I, I actually think that Many people uh, like to operate in the extremes. So, for example, when you, I mean, you from the the you know investment banking or the trading line, right? And so there's always this distinction. I mean, I'm not from there, but I know that you guys make this distinction between secular, cyclical, and tactical mm. timeframes. Yeah. So, um, essentially, as a portfolio manager of your own wealth. You obviously, like you said, you have to know all the the, the goals and the circumstance on that. You have kids, Correct. you have kids, things Correct. like that. But then also get a sense of what is your secular portfolio, what is your cyclical portfolio, and what is your tactical portfolio. And a lot of this tends 
tend to be well who you want to be, what type of investor you want to be. Mm. But if you are <coughs> someone that wants to be completely hands on, then you you always have to assess the uh, volatility or you know industry terms the implied volatility right of uh, whatever asset that you're trying to trade or invest. And so from there you you can know lah right whether or not now is the time to do trades. Now is the time to be more long term. And of course, in your case, obviously now you are expecting higher volatility and that's why you're going 55-60% cash. Yeah, for the for the actively managed portfolio. Right. Yeah, I think let's let's go back to that narrative, you know, right. <laughs> talking about the economy. Um, yeah, I, I, I for me, in my personal opinion, you know, like uh, I think it was just about a month or two months ago, um, uh, the Fed chairman, Jay Powell, basically, yep, he, yep. he did mention, right, like he will thank the economy to beat inflation. And subsequently, we saw like a nine percent, nine percent, and then eight uh, percent inflation. Print. Then there was a point two percent below expectation, right, of yeah. the inflation. Everybody's like, "Yay!" Yeah, correct. So <laughs> I don't know. I just <laughs> I I feel that's a, a little bit silly, lah. Yeah. Um, again, in my, I, I'm I'm a believer that the the recent spike is a bear market rally. Mm. Um, yeah. So I did. I did try. I did basically use this sort of my bear market rally to sort of like uh, trade, and therefore I have been like trimming or selling off some positions during this particular bear market rally. Um, and yeah, I think this year what is um, pretty interesting is that you can actually trade on the volatility of like the fear and greed. Correct, <laughs> correct. Um, I do. I do have made some decent uh, trades, uh, and mind you, I'm like the worst trader ever. You know, like. Uh, I do. I have been able to make some decent uh, yield and profit from just those trading uh, fear and greed, lah. You know. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's that. But um, coming back to the inflation print, I mean, eight percent is still bloody high, lah, right? Yeah. And I do feel like yeah, perhaps maybe in the next couple of months, you know, things are starting to taper a little bit. It's gonna probably hover around six, seven, maybe eight percent. But that's still bloody high, right? Yeah. Do you, <laughs> do you think that if it falls, you think someone like Jerome Powell will still continue to, you know, hike rates if it tapers off? Um, I don't know. I mean, honestly, right. uh, from the past, from the recent Fed uh, meeting. His tone changes a little bit, so I I, I cannot second guess him. Right. But I I think what what I would like to say is that you know um, fall is coming, like winter is coming, and I think you know um, where we are seeing the oil prices at the moment. Yeah. You know the divergence of oil and gas prices. Um, I think the recent oil sort of like uh, sell off is not really so much on supply and demand. It's more on basically the macroeconomic, so, so you know trader speculation. Is that what you're yeah, saying? like it's not really on based on demand and supply, but you know things are things can easily swing both sides, right? right? And right. and I mean like uh, the world, especially Europe, um, they really need to pray, you know, that uh, this winter is not so cold, Basically, I mean we are seeing news like. Uh, Bulgaria telling people, telling their people to stop exporting goods. You know, these are like the sort of like extreme scenarios on how people are preparing for winter, right? So, I don't know, man. Like, um, I just have a very, very. Um, I have this feeling that oil price could be higher than right. whatever is the year, uh, the twenty twenty two year high, uh, coming into the winter. Right. In my opinion, I don't know whether you feel the same. I mean, before that, I, I mean, why why do you think that that decoupling or that 
yeah, I would say decoupling of oil and gas is important because we tend to lump them together, right? Mm. But now you're suggesting that the data showing that uh, no one can go down without the other going down, vice versa. Yeah, I think it's just basically a reversion to mean and and basically understanding about uh, about commodities, uh, demand and supply, and 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 stuff lah. Yeah, but. Uh, yeah. Again, I I do have this particular view of of that. You know, I I think oil price is is gonna shoot up again. Um, and you know, when when oil price is gonna shoot up again, then you are you gonna stay? I mean, is inflation gonna stay again at seven eight percent? You know, okay. so unless uh, unless all of us start using electric cars, uh, maybe it won't be so bad, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. I do have a question though, right? Like, yeah. Do you think this uh, Ukraine and Russia war is going to be a forever war? Uh, that all depends on. I, actually, I've always thought that everything depended on NATO in this equation. Um, the reason Russia has decided to invade, in a way, uh, Ukraine is because of in their assessment NATO's en- encroachment and. In a way, you can't really fault that. Let's put it in a Malaysian context, right? Imagine, mm. imagine if, I don't know, let's say China, you know, started invading or rather started having strong military ties, like a NATO-like tie with Thailand or with Kalimantan or Indonesia, right? As a Malaysian, obviously, you know, you you won't be so comfortable, right? Unless you are also included in that military alliance. Uh. So I think that's the scenario that Russia is facing, and they have this demographic. Uh, decline that is just so it's quite tragic to be fair and so when you take all this into account um, you know desperate you know rogue nations don't invade usually don't invade people because they are strong but usually because they are weak right if you look at Mm. Nazi (coughs) Germany they invaded because for the longest time they had all the uh, unfair deals pit against them in Japan, they invaded this part of the world was because you know the U.S. cut off the oil supply and things like that. So that would be my you know benchmarks to look at how NATO deals with this issue. But if they get the President Zelensky on that to be on NATO side, then I think it will it will escalate lah. Yeah, so like, you know, um, I asked that question again because it sort of helps to build up the narrative that, you know, there's a higher probability that things are just going to be worse off um, tomorrow than than, uh, as compared to things are going to be better off, you know. Um, And I think adding on to that point, so we have that particular uh, fact of inflation, you know, which is going to be constantly going to be high yeah and uh, you know winter is coming and and basically oil price is probably going to shoot up and that's going to basically help to right. maintain the high inflation numbers and secondly uh, um that particular russian and ukraine war is how long is it going to drag and we have been talking about just oil just now but what about all the other commodities wheat. right so yeah mm-hmm. correct wheat especially now thirdly is um you know i think recently i've been i've been on vacation because you know yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> the best very thing very nice of, very nice uh, photos thank you thank you so like uh basically sometimes when market is bad uh the best thing is to do nothing lah basically yeah, yeah. right so i do, i did nothing and i just traveled the world and all that and uh, some 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 interesting fact is you know i was talking to my wife so like, hey how come it seems like there is no recession you know like everybody is spending like crazy and all that 
um, yeah, do you feel that? You know, like there is, although we are at the recession risk, but you're not actually seeing it on the on the front page. Yeah, I think that's very, very weird. Uh, I agree with the on the ground sort of uh, attitudes. But if you look across, again, the data, right, the sentiment, the consumer sentiments are all like, Huge, huge downturns. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I personally, yeah, I personally want to call a bluff on that mm. because I, I do realize like um, sometimes like human like we don't really realize how much we spend yeah. until we actually sit down and analyze, right? So uh, I mean, me and my wife were just analyzing our spending on our vacations and mm. our our sort of like monthly living expenses, and we realized that we have definitely overspent. As compared to say pre-COVID times, really interesting. Yeah, and uh, people don't really realize that they have overspent until yeah again until they sit down and analyze. I don't know. Maybe you can. But is that so? Is that a result of? Uh, I mean, without prying too much, but is yeah. that a result of prices rising or increasing consumption? I think it's it's both when it comes to the desire to consume and ah. at the same time um, the increase in prices for yeah. sure. You know. Um, so now the, the the fact of the matter is a lot of people probably are having excess savings, right? Or maybe mm. um, because two years of doing nothing, right? Yeah, and but government yeah. government has been basically paying them to to sit on the couch, sort yeah, of yeah. sort of incentive, right? All, uh, all over government, you know, like uh, especially the developed nations, I would say. Yeah. Um, now the thing is, there are a bunch of populations of which you know you can overspend, but there are a lot more. A segment of the population that you actually cannot overspend. And the majority, actually, it is actually a majority, right? And when these people realizes that they have been overspending for a long time, they will basically cut on basically uh, they are on their spending like, naturally, you know. So, yeah, I mean, um, people so far have got a lot of excess savings yeah. and money, um, and basically, we that that is why we are not really seeing that sort of. Um, Destruction in demand yet, but I I feel like it's it's, it's temporary. It will come. It will come now, basically. You know. Right. Yeah. So this create this is gonna create earnings pressure in um, a lot of the segments of the you know, of the industry, in my opinion. You know, um, because everything is intertwined. Everything is interrelated. Um, so. You you know we before <coughs> before this uh, podcast we wanted to talk a lot about. Um, like labor in general, because I oh think yeah. it's linked, right? Yes. Uh, it's linked in terms of, I mean, your ability to consume is the ability, <coughs> your ability to convert your labor into capital, right? Yeah, I think I think the COVID actually created some structural unemployment problem. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, so actually I spoke to uh, a good friend, uh, was it Han, I think, uh-huh. Uh, about employment and we also talked about employment in our videos mm. and there's a lot of comparison today with the 70s right because re- 70s are recession fears plus inflation we're having the same thing but the big difference between today and the 70s is the employment we our employment still looks i mean our this era's employment on paper la. on paper it looks good and i think part of that is this whole gig economy i mean think think about it right if i if I get a job that pays me a thousand bucks, I'm I'm employed, mm. right? Whereas back in the day, um, presumably like your income will be a lot higher if you get a job, but if that but if you don't get a job, then you you, you can't drive Grab. 
Yeah, correct. And I, I personally have this problem because um, I think you know, but maybe some of the yeah. audience don't know. I actually have got my own uh, bread and butter business. You know, it's it's a small facilities management company um, in Malaysia, right? So during COVID, um, it was actually pretty easy for us to hire people because a lot of people are not employed and they want to work, you know. Um, but since the reopening of the economy, it is very very tough for me to hire even an admin or a salesperson or even like a, a technician um, and i believe this has got a lot to do with what you just mentioned you yeah. know like uh, uh, the gig economy um, i think the whatever unemployment numbers you know whatever statistics that is in yeah. being shown in the in the labor right i i think there are it's misleading lah it's say? not it's not painting the right picture yeah 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 Because um, here we have, you know, a bunch of um, young people, especially, yeah. you know, um, maybe previously they used to work in the restaurants, they used to work in the factories and all that. Correct. And then COVID hits and they, they started to work from home and they started to understand um, there are other sources of income, be it like uh, becoming a content creator, yeah, yeah. Becoming a, I don't know, like some OnlyFans content mm, creator mm. or whatever, right? Um, Patreon, uh, let's use Patreon. Patreon, Patreon <laughs> uh, digital marketer. Yeah, yeah. And they, then, then basically now that, you know, the, the, right. the economy is opening back up, um, they do not want to get back to where they were previously. Yeah. And what, what, what is a problem now then is that, you know, we, we have been hearing uh, multiple companies on multiple analyst briefings and public briefings, right? Labor has always been labor an issue. Shortage, yeah. you know, labor shortage, lah. Labor shortage. Even until to, to this day, it's still like labor shortage. Um, even even companies like myself, we are facing these labor issues. Now, the the fact of the matter is that right now, for me to actually employ somebody that is um, either in sales or a technician or whatever, um, I need to pay like a premium. Right. Maybe maybe you know like uh, in terms of rating, um, I would I would rate this person only six out of ten. Yeah. But I would have to pay her uh, somebody that is worth you know ten out of ten sort yeah. of thing, just for them to say yes. So this is uh, a big trouble right now for a lot of companies, in my opinion, um, because then it it really increases the cost of your yeah. I don't know goods and services and everything. Um, uh, I wanna ask a follow up on that. So, what what do you attribute uh, that to? Is it uh, because it's not necessarily if you do a gig you earn more money than a corporate job, let's say. But I think one element that gave, especially younger people, a taste of during the COVID years uh, is the freedom and the flexibility, right? Of just working at home and not wanting to go back. Mm. Of course, some of them succeeded a lot. But then some, some uh, uh, did not, but they would rather earn less for the freedom. And so do you think that Perhaps that is information for corporations or even SMEs, right? To look at it and say, okay, maybe the promise and the offers that we give needs to be a bit more restructured. Because I know for my parents' generation, they'll be like, oh, yeah, as long as it pays more or or whatever, they'll, they'll, they'll take it, right? A job is a job. Yeah, I mean, bro, like, um, <clears throat> I think this had sort of like developed even to... Uh Slightly before pre-COVID situation, you know, um, nowadays management trainees in an investment bank, it was totally different than when I was uh, a management trainee back in 2008, 2009, right? Like 
last time it was it was practically uh, a requirement for us to stay until midnight stay until 3 a.m 4 a.m to 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 complete our tasks right now everyone is like 5 p.m 6 p.m they have to go back and a lot of emphasis is on like standard of living work-life work balance. balance all these sort of things so um yeah i think those are definitely important i th- I think a lot of uh, you know the the entire startup world, the new the new economy sort of like business uh, came in and 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 disrupted the way we we work and we we yeah. we live life. Um, so that's one part of the story, but it, it doesn't change the fact that you know um, I think due to COVID, this had actually accelerated, and it's yeah again it created uh, what i would call like a structural unemployment problem which yeah. actually adds to the cost of uh, capital and adds to the cost of labor uh, and it reduces earnings capability of companies yeah <coughs> I, i think uh, one one i mean a larger trend driving all this is this whole idea of decentralization i think you know young people are really into crypto so they like this idea of decentralization and essentially is being their own boss mm. uh, i don't know whether you you saw this that it, it got pretty big on i think in twitter one of the social media platforms and you, you know we tend to have this impression right people of the past and when i say the past i mean back <coughs> in the days where people were still in the fields right as peasants and mm. when we hear the word peasant what do we think right we think you know like essentially it's this one level higher than slave Right, but then someone, uh, a historian, she put up the numbers and he actually tried to analyze what uh, working life is like for a typical medieval peasant. And the numbers he got was quite shocking. So every day he will work about eight hours, hard work. Mm. But right, he will always have 12 weeks of leave because there's winter. Okay. So when you think about it, right, you only work 40 hours a week by and large. And you get 12 weeks off. So 12 weeks is 50 days of leave. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if you actually compare them and, and maybe us today, you know, whether it's a nine to five or maybe you work 50 hours a week and you have what, 14 days of leave, 21 days of leave. And so it, it does give me at least, right, a perspective, right, on is it, Are are laborers really feeling uh, like their time, sacrificing their time and money is worth it? Especially when you take into context the fact that pop- the population, global population has been slowing down in terms of growth yeah. and it's likely to start declining. And so basic demand and supply is that if labor starts to shrink, the price of labor should go up, right? Unless everyone is going to stop demanding goods and services. Well, these are just like some brief observations, no big conclusion, but I just thought I'd just throw it to you just because mm. it's pretty interesting facts. Yeah. So what's the, what's the question? The, no, the, no, just, just a response to, to, uh. to your point uh, about uh, this labor stuff and all that. Yeah, I, I honestly see this problem uh, creeping up in China, especially mm. um, because, you know, uh, China, <coughs> all this while we, we have understood them to be Uh, an economically productive uh, country, yep, uh, people. Yeah. yeah, especially in the works of manufacturing and oh, all that. Absolutely. Yeah. But I think um, what has happened recently is that uh, this this these workers in the factories and all that, right? You know, um, they they started to earn a lot of income and they become like middle class. Mm-hmm. And after that, they they have got all these um, policies of one child policy and all this on the, and and the likes of those yep. things. <coughs> 
and i think the the important word is like um, i think china is start like their population is starting to age out of this sort of um, work and labor intensive sort of like uh, duties and it is creating uh, a massive gap lah and yeah. that is why i think we are seeing a lot of chinese companies are actually venturing out to the likes of vietnam and and philippines to sort of like create a synthetic form of labor um yeah i think that's 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 one issue of uh, in china that i can see but i think it's a topic for another day yeah for sure yeah so i think uh, again wrapping up and coming back to our initial discussion right so we have an inflation problem um of which is derived by uh, oil price which you know in winter months is which is going to go up and then we have the could be a forever russia and China, um ukraine uh, war is yep. which is going to again exacerbate the 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 price levels of uh, other commodities you know and then we have got um this entire labor issue which creates a cost um spike and what was the other one um ah yes um basically the false sense of you know um there is no recession today because everybody mm. is overspending mm. uh you know uh, the demand destruction is going to happen so what what then happens is yes in my opinion i think um the market has already priced in the inflation fear the market has already priced in the spike of interest rate so what we have been seeing in 2022 in my opinion is that <coughs> the market has actually punished um or rather the market has given like a valuation derating on a lot of companies um so we are probably halfway there but we have not really priced in the risk of recession yeah um so that's that's in my opinion what is happening in the market lah okay so i mean that that's uh that's the big picture stuff right and um i don't get into some companies that you're interested uh in but before like a specific company we have to talk about tech right because i mean even linking to your point about inflation mm. and labor i mean the price of presumably semiconductors and and all the raw material required for that is going to go up that will affect tech manufacturing companies in Malaysia and then it's hard to get labor mm. right and uh, you know a lot in Malaysia um there's a lot of our companies whether OSAT or EMS they have a lot of labor as well right mm. so what are your general thoughts on the the tech companies Uh okay so when it comes to tech <laughs> yes um I think there, there there needs to to be a real distinction here because <clears throat> tech as we know it you know um if let's say we are talking about about it in in essence of um developed markets like the Nasdaq or even in Hong Kong and all that these are basically your software companies software, yeah, you know like uh, Nvidia yeah all like. this sort of thing and and it, it even some sometimes um you know it it wraps around the companies that have got zero profit right so uh basically what has happened is these companies has has gotten punished lah right we are seeing some tech companies be it a biotech company or like um yeah like software companies are trading below cash levels these days because you know uh, people are wondering how much more cash can you burn you know so um that has got punished um but in malaysia you know whilst malaysians and bursa sort of like term them as tech stocks but they are actually more like a tech manufacturing stocks correct yeah um <clears throat> and i was just doing this uh post actually in stockbit uh, i think back in may or something do you know that 
do you know that you know um, out of the top 25 largest so-called tech stocks in Malaysia, 80% of them are actually not cash company? You know, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, yeah they're, they're actually not cash company. So whilst they are termed as tech stocks, but they, they cannot be, I mean, um, they're not cash company. They are fundamentally brilliant. You know, like mm-hmm. they, they make mm-hmm. a lot of profit and revenue and they are growing. So it's it's a very very different sort of like um, business model, you know. These are tech manufacturing, um, and it is not like the tech stocks that a lot of people would associate uh, with, you know. And not only that, I think because of what had happened in the past, especially this year, they actually has their valuation had actually gone down to about twenty to twenty five x on average, you know. So is that still expensive? Um, honestly speaking. Um, there are some stocks which are already trading uh, below, say, like a five-year to ten-year um, historical valuation mean and average. Uh, but there are still some that is still trading above. So then you just need to sort of like uh, get into specifics, individual stocks, and really understand their business and their their business growth and direction. Right. But um, yes, I <coughs> I think a lot of people would know that. I am personally a big believer in the in the bursa um, tech manufacturing sector. I think if we are talking about medium to long term um, investment, I think this sector still poses the the biggest opportunity for for investors in Malaysia. Just from the very fact that you know they have got huge addressable market because number one they are. Global, yeah. they are global, right? So you are exporting and you are getting US dollars. And if you really think about where US dollars against the ringgit, four point four eight, going to be. I mean, okay, MJ, <coughs> say in five years from, say in three years from today, lah, is the dollar ringgit going to be closer to five dollar? Is it going to be closer to say a three dollar? Well, if you're looking at the trend, definitely five uh, dollars. And it's already. I mean, I mean, it's already uh, closer to five already. Right? I mean, statistically, right now. <laughs> yeah, but but I I would I would caution uh, that I think during 2017, mm. especially this is on the back of all the one MDB saga and all that, people thought that that's it for the Malaysian uh, ringgit. But it went from 4.4 to 4.15 as yeah. a low. I mean, honestly, we we yeah. can we can never say correct, for certain. Correct, you know, um, a lot of things are, are are in play. For instance. Correct. I mean, we all know that the 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 U.S. government has been abusing the U.S. dollar because of its reserve currency status for yeah. the longest time, right? So we all know that, and I mean, the the fact of the matter is that they printed like trillions, and that only by right should reduce the value of the U.S. dollar. But yeah. again, uh, as compared to that, in Malaysia, maybe things are relatively worse. That's why yeah. the currency strength. Vis-a-vis the US dollars are weaker, you know. Yeah. Um, a lot of things are into play. But coming back to the tech, um, yeah. sort of like uh, tech stocks in in Malaysia, I would I would like to say that yeah, in in the short term, I honestly have no idea where it's going going to go because um, you know again the recession fears, the the D rating, uh, the the de- yeah basically the D rating um, is happening right so but in the long term there are a lot of things medium to long term there are a lot of things just now I already mentioned basically the the total addressable market uh, is huge and secondly is of course you know the digitalization of everything and um, the third one is the automation of everything yeah uh, and then we can talk about just now you mentioned the deglobalization also so we are seeing a lot of like the 
tech manufacturing players are really attaching themselves to either China or attaching yeah. themselves to either US, right? And uh, Malaysia's positioning on the entire supply chain. That is why we are seeing Penang as like right now becoming like super hot. Like all the MNCs are investing a in a lot Penang. of money flowing in. Yeah, so I think these are five factors of which I'm still bullish on the Malaysian semiconductor and Malaysian tech sector. Again, I repeat, it's digitalization of everything, automation of everything, deglobalization, Malaysia, Malaysia positioning in the supply chain, and and basically they have got a big uh, addressable market lah. Yeah, so yeah. I mean specifically, I know one company that you are quite interested in. Ironically, it's not Malaysian, but it's AEM, right? Uh, yes. Can you share with us a little bit about the 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 three point thesis for AM? Oh, okay. So AM is basically a, a company that I really like. It is both in my short term <coughs> and my long term investment. Um, it's basically an ATE company based in. Uh, they have, I mean, they have offices all over the world, uh, But factories is in Singapore and uh, and and Malaysia. There's also a present. Um, and why I like this company is that because, in my opinion, they are a pioneer, they are a leader in what they term as Task 2.0. You know, we, we always hear this 2.0, 3.0, right? But basically, in terms of tests um, on basically your semiconductor chips and everything, uh, they have gone and they have sort of like labeled this uh, new thing, which is called system level testing. So of course you know you will have your usual burn-in test, you have your final test, and then apparently there is new thing which is called a system level test because everything is just becoming so micro at the moment and it goes into the systems. So I like this company because, okay, um, for me because I'm a finance guy, I I look into the valuation and I find it extremely attractive, lah. Um, all right. So I think right now it is it is trading at a, a sub 10 PE ratio. And is it net cash? Uh, it is not cash. Wow. So so the the actual value, it's, the valuation is probably even lower than. Yeah. That. So if let's say I I want to sort of like compare this to all the ATE companies in Malaysia, you know, they are all trading, again as I mentioned just now, um, above twenty uh, to thirty times yeah. uh, earnings, you know. And if I compare this to say their biggest, I mean their global competitors, the likes of your Kohu and your Teradyne and 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 all those, they are also trading at a premium. So. In my opinion, I think it is an underdog story. Um, I like the company. I like the management. The management has has always been giving guidance on on basically what is their revenue um, for the year, and they have always beat their their own guidance. And previously, a lot of people are saying that you know um, we are going to only be able to give them a low valuation is because they are highly related to Intel. Like Intel has been their biggest client for for the right, longest right. longest time, right? So. Um, now we all know that. I mean, one of the other theses, of course, is we all know that Intel is really spending. Oh so yeah, seventy billion, right? Something. Yeah. Like so just for info, like AM uh, provides or manufactures uh, the the handlers for 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 Intel. So as Intel increases their capex, you know, um, that is why you are seeing AM's revenue keeps going up. Um, but other than that, you know, I think recently in the recent quarter they did mention that that they have closed like. Um, Two new customers, um, and I have a feeling that these two new customers are important players in the semiconductor space. And now it's probably only at the level where it is just a small orders, and this is going to testing test out. I think it's 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 going to scale, and 
and therefore I I think the entire notion of you know we can only value you at a certain valuation because of your cu- customer concentration risk should sort of like uh, dissipate over time lah. Right. Yeah. So, so right. So net cash, sub ten. Intel's customers, and then of course there was the U.S. Chips Act where Intel will also get some subsidies. Yeah. Right. So um, okay, okay. So uh, that's that's enough for for tech stocks. Let's let's ask the, the ju- talk about the juicy uh, juicy stocks right now. <laughs> uh, Which juicy? Uh, <laughs> my news, right? So my news is okay. uh, it's not just a hot stock. It's a it's a hot stock for stock bitters. Mm, right. Mm, a lot of yes. stock bit guys that we know personally are really into it and there's a lot of buzz and the whole story of 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 my news is that they were going to transition into be more cu mart focus right yeah um and it hasn't really turned out uh they have not really succeeded (coughs) right and the stock has taken a very big beating i think it's more than 50 percent i want to say Mm. about there so what is your stance on it? Because I know you you do have some opinions on the Yeah, company. so um I have been following my news for a long time because I know that it's a it's a stock that, you know, a lot of retailers follow. So mm-hmm. I've always um I've attempted to ask Mr. Dangluk to come into um Stockbit and give out like a private briefing and all those sort of thing, which actually I think he 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 invited uh, some of us into the usual analyst briefings. Um, so I have been following this stock, and you know I have I have seen them progresses over time. Um, from the moment that the first CU had launched, and you know um, until you know the the subsequent uh, MCO, and yeah, I don't know. I think I followed them for about over a year to a year and a half already. Now I think the 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 the, the fact of the matter is. Um, it was not until the recent quarter that it really got slammed down, you know. Um, but I feel like uh, a lot of people are just not giving it enough credit. Mm. Um, I think if, let's say, we are looking into my news, um, there are a few things to take in, to take note. Lah. Uh, number one is that, are you comparing my news to Family Mart? All right? Because I can tell you right now, even for me personally, if I have both Family Mart or my news in front of me, I would personally still go to Family Mart. So it is not about comparing um, which one is superior because at the moment, I have to say that Family Mart is definitely superior. But when it comes to investing, you know, um, I think, you know, I, I have, I mentioned just now, I've been traveling everywhere, right, um, recently. And I can tell you that in, in every places that we go, you know, convenience stores are convenience stores. There's not only going to be one brand. Um, there is going to be a selective, even easily like four to five brands, yeah. regardless on at whichever country that you go to, lah. Okay, there's not only just one. There's like a, 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 a several. So now, you, the 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 fact of the matter, then you need to think is, my news, is not number one, but as number two or number three or number four, um, should they be worth more than whatever the market is valuing them at, right. at this current juncture? Um, so on that matter, um, you know, you again then need to take into consideration a, a lot of things. Now, the fact of the matter that I understand is that a lot of my news investors, when they invest into my news, they are not really um, comparing, like taking things into context. So, um, for instance, the other day, I, I just pulled out some CTOS of Family Mart trying to just understand their business, right? <coughs> 
um, and trying to see if there are any apple to apple comparison. Uh. So I did that and I posted it on Stockbit. And do you know that Family Mart, um, you know, on their first one and a half year of, 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 of operation, they actually made like a 70 million revenue and a seven, eight, seven to eight million loss mm-hmm. on their first one to one and a half years of operations. And they opened 30 stores apparently. Now, if you compare that to say uh, my news uh, and and the CU CU Mart, right? So in the first one year, they actually managed to open 100 stores, and you need to also take into context, right? Because when Family Mart was, um, you know, when when they came in, there are a, a, a lot a lot of things that and their seven million loss doesn't in, taken into consideration, say the FPC, the, the depreciation, right? Yeah, the, the FPC uh, utilization and and cost and all that. It doesn't have COVID, okay. Um, it doesn't probably take into consideration all the overheads uh, because maybe the overheads are being charged at the QL level and not at the family mart level in 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 their CITOS report. And uh, what else was there? Yeah, so all these things wasn't there for family mart, and they were still loss making. So even family mart, even the best of the best, was not built overnight. So the the fact oh, and then and they had the cost advantage for their surimis and all that. Yeah, yeah, correct. Um, so the FPC lah, like, the FPC yep, wasn't exactly. hit into into the subsidiary Sendirian Bahad level, and they 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 were still losing seven million. Um, and of course they were first mover advantage. You know now of course uh, CU Mart and My News right now where they are at the moment, you know they are loss making for sure. You know, uh, but they have got hundred stores, and. I think uh, what I just want to say is that I was there on um, the first CU Mart, which was which opened in May of April or May of last year. I was there in the SS15 stores with John. Yep, yep. Uh, you know when the SS15 Subang was open post the the lockdown, and I can tell you that the food then was actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. But it's just that CU today, if you go to any CU, the the food quality is not there yet. So okay. I think um, I I have a feeling that they are expanding as fast as possible, but they are really sacrificing the the quality of food. Right. Um, but I also want to also say that you know uh, during the briefing they did mention that they did have labor shortage issue on their kitchen on their FPC. So that really um, affected the quality of their food. Um, but fact of the matter is, or long story short, uh, do I think that it is a chronic disease that the management of the company cannot sort of like improve on? I don't think so, lah. You know, and I think today my news is what 300 million market yeah. cap or something. Like, yeah. Yeah. So um, can they turn it around? I I do think that they can. I think there is. They are probably, you know, the upcoming quarter is still going to be loss making. Um, but I, I do believe that they are probably one or two quarters away from finding the right formula, than to continue on this sort of like downward path, lah. And you also need to take into account that you know uh, recently why my news share price has gone down a lot is because uh, EPF has been selling. Yep. You know, so ha- why was the reason of EPF selling? It could be because of a. Uh, 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 A non-fundamental reason, you know. Uh, I I was made to understand that during the briefing, which I attended uh, in recent my news, apparently there wasn't any EPF analysts over there. So, so maybe they could sell off because maybe my news had gone down below a certain mandated uh, market cap, yeah, or yeah. maybe they just have a, a global mandate where you know what we just have to sell everything because 
we we feel like the entire macroeconomic outlook is bad. We need to trim down our position. I don't know, honestly. I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not in EPS so head. Guess, yeah. yeah. So um, so I think that's that's where I stand with my news lah. In my opinion, I think at this current juncture, they have actually had got about one um, you know many many years of experience of running my news. They needed to move into CU because you know. Um, the the entire i would say ecosystem basically forces them to 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 shift you know, right because yep. my news the old my news brand was not going to last because you know you're there's a place where you get newspapers your newspaper is not going to be there anymore exactly. cigarettes are not going to be there anymore so they do have to move into a, a business model with the likes of ready to eat food like a family mart you know so that in itself was uh was basically much needed of course there are a lot of mistakes that you know um that may, maybe the management did uh, along the way but i don't think these are chronic chronic mistakes and and i don't think that these are chronic diseases lah for the company i i will say this lah right about my news uh if it turns around the price today is very very uh, cheap yeah if it does turn around even this even some signs of hope For, then I do believe it's only yeah because now you have around 100 uh, stores of CU and that's not even counting all the other my new stores right and you're trading at about I, I, I think it's 300 million market cap today I, I need to check <laughs> I forgot so that's like a valuation of about uh, 3 million per CU store you know so um, yeah I, I don't know let's 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 wait and see of course um, there are still a lot of things which the management have to execute properly For instance, to really just uh, improve their the in-store experiences, um, those definitely need to happen, you know. Uh, and if they can really execute that, I think CU can actually be number two lah in the in the in the Malaysian market. And for for them to be a number two in the in the market um, or even number three, I think at a, at that valuation is is cheap enough. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. That's. Uh You know, I expect interesting comments in the comment section about my news for sure. But uh, one company that you, I think this is the latest company that you really talked about, which is TaxCab, mm. Sushi King. Who would have thought, right? Yeah. Who would have thought Sushi King were one of the best performing stocks over the past, I think, two years? Yeah, yeah. I want to say. Our, you know, good friend, Mr. Ping Lam, right? Mm. Big, huge friends. I believe he used to work there as well, so... Uh, yeah, what are your thoughts on uh, TaxCam, man? Yeah, so I think uh, Peng Lam actually mentioned about the company um, public uh, in in Stockbit, you know, from I don't know, um, end of last year or something when it was below one one ringgit lah. So it was insane, you know. Like, I mean, of course, I I, I follow him and. I have been making a few rounds, but it has just been a stupid trading um, and small profit sort of like uh, trades. But I think what happened is um, they recently uh, opened up to to the public and to analysts. And um, I think the 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 story about TaxCam is that firstly it's a conglomerate, yeah, it's a conglomerate. And um, fact of, of the matter, when 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 we met the management uh, on on the briefings, is that you know uh, they finally so they hired a CEO that is profit driven. So um, I think that was the highlight in uh, for me lah, at least, um, because all this while they have always had got management uh, of which you know the chairman is a very entrepreneurial uh, person, uh, but the CEO this time around is very profit driven CEO. So for instance, for instance, he takes steps like um, 
he will close uh, he will he will basically really make the company lean lah so i think tax scam of the past they were hiring about 5007 to 6000 staff yeah right now they are about 3007 to 4000 so you are really really cutting it lean and being competitive and profitable um secondly i think you know what is interesting in my opinion was the turnaround in sushi king so i think they definitely had learned from their mistakes um the management as a whole so they closed all these like uh, non-profit uh, sushi kings uh, those that is probably located regionally and all that because they just didn't understand the market and they just focus on what what works in malaysia and i think uh, the fact of the matter is that you know um, over covid um i believe one of their biggest competitor or rival was sake sushi So pre-COVID, both of them have got a lot of stores. I think around the region of like 120, 140, if I'm not mistaken, each. But post-COVID, um, Sushi King has got the same number and even increased a little bit. But apparently, Sake Sushi is now like uh, only have got four or five stores. Wait, what? So, so right now, basically, Sushi King is your really go-to place for Japanese for halal Japanese uh, food and they have the they have got the the, the largest chain of uh, of Japanese uh, chain uh, basically in Malaysia restaurant so now another thing is you know a lot of us in KL probably looking into Sushi King and you are, we are comparing them to like Sushi Tei Rakuzen and Sushi Zanmai and all yeah. that but you know um, in other in other areas of Malaysia like for instance um, the management did highlight Uh, the most profitable sushi king is actually in Sandakan, for instance, no right? <laughs> and they are probably the only sushi joint there or something. And the, the good thing about being halal sushi um, chain is you're able to operate in, for instance, states like your Terengganu and your Kelantan. Kelantan yeah. And these are really extremely profitable states. Lah. So right now, um, the entire story is that, um, so, uh, sorry, Techscam have got four um, business units They have got the industrial chemical distribution unit. They have got the um, polymer engineering unit. Okay, um, polymer engineering is also another interesting one. But I think I would just ask you to uh, come to Stockbit and read my post and uh, Peng Lam's post. And the third one is they have got their food units. Um, the food unit is also interesting because apparently they are like one of the a uh, global leader in soft shell crab farming in Myanmar or something you know so just now, i think for the tech stocks we we mentioned about how you export and then your 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 costs are basically your local talents you know you're you're paying in ringgit and you're exporting and you're getting in us dollars the same is is happening for their food division because you know you're, they are they're farming out of Myanmar and Myanmar apparently have got fresh water and all the all, all those things Um, so they are getting a lot of they are exporting everything, right? So they are getting US dollars, and then after that, their costs, and they don't have labor issues because in Myanmar there's plenty of labor and cheap yeah, labor, yeah. you know. So that's yep. that's a good thing. And lastly, is their restaurant business, which is uh, Sushi King, lah. And now you know that Sushi King is when it comes to competition, you know, um, there is literally nobody else like Sushi King that offers, uh, or rather, not to say nobody else like Sushi King, but Sushi King is actually the largest. Japanese retail halal brand in 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 Malaysia lah. Right. Um, yeah, they they went on to say even you know that their competition is not actually not the Japanese restaurants but like your KFC and McDonald's and those things. Mm-hmm. So, Fair enough. Yeah, and people are looking into the the quarter two result a little bit too closely. I think maybe perhaps because but again you know those are the time when um, again because their market is the mainly the Malay market. 
Um, those are the the puasa month and all that. So that's why it was seasonally going to be weak lah. So let's see. Um, I did the sum of parts. Um, I did the sum of parts calculation. Um, I think you know I was giving it a very very uh, conservative multiples on each business unit. I think even even right now the blended sort of like earnings is around ten times PE or something. So I think there is. In, I mean, it is still interesting, you know. But I, I would still want to monitor it over a couple of quarters before putting like big money in, lah, or maybe putting it as a long-term investment. Right. Fair yeah. enough. I mean, like, so th- about the other the other divisions, are they as a? Uh, you can say are they as exciting uh, as the sushi king, or maybe even more exciting? Uh, yeah, I think the 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 good thing is some divisions are very stable. They have been profit making for a long, long time. <coughs> Um, some divisions are getting very interesting, um, like the food division and the polymer engineering division. Um, I think the polymer engineering division is worth to to study because you know they are actually also riding on this entire what we mentioned just now the 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 tech manufacturing bubble in Penang. You know, so uh, yeah, worth worth looking lah. But wh- whatever it is, the important thing is. Previously, for tax scam, because they are conglomerate, there are some divisions that is making money, some divisions are losing money. So mix match, mix match. It, it was not sexy, it was not interesting for anyone. But right now, because they have streamlined or they have become so lean, you know, like that every single department is actually making money, and it could be sustainable. So let's let's see lah. Yeah, indeed, indeed. So last company, uh, even after two years now. The bus is actually bigger than I expected, and that's gloves. Mm. Oh, gloves! Right. Okay, here you go. Uh, I know you. <laughs> I know you have some thoughts on gloves, and maybe we, uh, get your thoughts there first before we move on to uh, to mm. Riverstone, right? So it's a company that you're a big fan of, of course. Yes, yes. But you know, in terms of gloves, like what's happening? Right? I mean, we we have our thoughts. We did our video a while yeah. back saying that you know basically it's uh, or hinting lah that is a generational opportunity in some ways. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what do you think? So for gloves, um, I think for those that has followed the trend in Stockbit, you know, um, it was a trend that opened back in 2020 January or something. Um, so yeah, we 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 have definitely gone through the boom and we have gone through the bust. Uh, I think I would like to highlight that you know, um, as much as we make, I personally make money in 2020 from gloves. Uh, in 2021, it was one of the biggest losers in my portfolio. Um, I have always thought that um, you know that glove would would beat the test of time. You know, uh, I think we saw the first round of analysts um, turning around on glove uh, prediction sometime in end of 2020 to early 2021. You know, that's that was when we saw the JP Morgan reports, we saw the Macquarie reports, but. I always find their reports. It was not uh, based on facts. It mm. was based on guess. Um, but I think those guesses became facts um, in late of 2021. I see. Yeah, you know that they are finally seeing um, the entire uh, what I would call like uh, I mean, once the vaccine was ready and up, they they were seeing overstocking of um, gloves. They were seeing a reduction in. Uh, in demand, they were seeing uh, some oversupply situation because of China and all those sort of things and newcomers, right, from Malaysia even. 
So those things has has became a reality. What was originally as gas became a reality, and and yeah, basically uh, the glove, uh, or rather the ASP, uh, it, it it lost the the test of time. I would say in that manner lah. Um, and of course, because because of that, then um, I have to take a hit on my portfolio as well, yeah. right? So um, I just want to thank you because I think uh, it's it's not common for yeah. people to share. Some of the, you know, not so nice times about their portfolio. And oh I no, no, no! I think I think. Look, I mean, <laughs> everybody needs to share the good times and the bad times. Absolutely. You know, you uh, during bear market, you actually. I mean, during bull market, everybody is a hero. Um, it's it's like when when bear market, you are you are finally seeing who's actually been swimming naked, lah. Um, but yeah, I mean, continuing to glove. Uh, so during that time in November, I I do realize, you know what. This uh, this this thesis of um, especially the nitrile medical glove, it is actually becoming a commodity, you know, because mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. oversupply situation everywhere. Um, yeah, so that was the case, and I think you know um, that's why in my glove holdings it has always been just reverse stone. Uh, uh, or I mean, I do have a small Harta Lega position. Uh, which is underwater for the longest time, but going into 2022, I I, I have mentioned this a couple of times even in Stockbit. In my personal opinion, the only investable glove company in Malaysia, you know, or rather the only investable Malaysian glove company is actually Riverstone. Um, and of course, we we went we went to yep. Riverstone site visit. You know, we we take a look at how management is, how they are running the. Uh, the the factory and how what makes them different than the rest you know and it's it's purely simply because of um, their exposure to a niche kind of glove market which is the clean room gloves um, so they do have they have the the nitrile medical glove for sure but at the same time they also have got the clean room glove so because of the clean room glove the ASP is not as volatile as the nitrile medical glove. It is one of the reason why perhaps, you know, when your Supermax and your other companies are like 10x in 2020, maybe Riverstone was only like 4x. <laughs> maybe it's not too exciting or whatever. I don't know. Lah. But now that the the, the, the tide has shift, shifted, you know, um, Riverstone become uh, very appealing because um, basically their clean room gloves, the ASP has maintained. Um, and at the same time, I, I think the management understood the the game. They have he had been there before, right? So um, during the good times, he was not over committing to a huge um, expansion, for instance, or share buybacks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so because because he he managed he allocates his capital very well, I would I would say you know. Um, so because he didn't overcommit on expansion um so right now when when the when the when the situation goes upside down you know he doesn't really have that sort of like underutilization and therefore his cost is not as high as the others for keeping things idle basically right so and i also like the fact that you know um he was not rushed into making decisions on whether to do a share buyback or to do a special dividend you know um and he he did it in a in a very sort of like timely manner lah you know you when the when the when the stock market was really pressured then he he just announced the dividend and you know by that time the yield was like insane amount so 
that that got the market really excited and it recovered and it got a lot of attention. So yeah, long story short, I think um, this quarter, quarter two, Riverstone is actually the most profitable glove makers in the world. And this beats Hatha Lega, it beats um, Sri Trang and, and I mean Top Glove, uh, yeah, <laughs> that one will come soon and you will see. Uh, but yeah, I, I do think that they are definitely one of the most resilient glove company. Our, our, our analyst group at Fire, we call uh, Top Glove Top G, no? Uh, actually, Top Glove reminds me of Manchester United. <laughs> hey, I know you're a Manchester hey. United fan, but hey, yeah, we are above uh, Liverpool uh, <laughs> as of this recording. As of this recording, yeah. I mean, look, the, the the fact of the matter, why why I say that, right, is because um, I think you put it very well in your video, in a sense that um, is that term again, right? Allocation of capital. Um, Allocation of capital is very important, and and I think that was that is probably one of the biggest downfall of uh, Top Glove, because um, I'm not sure for whatever reason, but you know they did share buybacks and they did um, special dividends. It's as if it is to please someone else. Like I don't know. I, I thought it was a. I thought it was a. It was showmanship, like, In a way where, you know, I'm I'm bullish. Mm. Or my company, so I'm I'm doing buybacks. I mean, it's not like how like Buffett buy does buybacks, yeah. right? Like he he buys back if essentially the company is undervalued. And yeah. So why why I say it's uh, very similar to Manchester United is yeah. because in my opinion, you know, Manchester United management they are very I would say they go along with the, with the flow like with whatever the the fans want. You know, the fans want. Uh, signing of Cristiano Ronaldo, they make it happen. Yeah. You know, they they don't really have like a, their own strong um, judgments on on this and on that. You know, um, so that's 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 where I think it is. I may be wrong, right. of course, but yeah. No, if you look, if so, if you look at it from a recruitment perspective, absolutely correct. But if you mm. think about it from an investment perspective, they've only spent three hundred million of their own money, and mm. if they were to get buy, bought out. For United, uh, but okay. Wait, before that, right? I, I, I run the math for you. I, I know it's a small diagram, <laughs> but it's related, right? Because uh, there's this website, uh, there's this Twitter account called Swiss Ramble. I think you, yeah, should, yeah, uh, you yeah, follow I, him, right? I follow him, of course. Yeah. yeah so he should say that first of all, they they took out like 130 over million dividends, mm. and they also when they listed the company, they got paid, and then they've got. They paid themselves salaries as well, so before even selling the company, they've already got back two, three times the capital already that right, their father right. put in, right? right, right. Jo- uh, Joel, Joel Glazer, Joel Glazer, I think. And uh, then, if they are about to be acquired, we know that it's going to be north of five billion because Chelsea was uh, was bought for four point two five, four point a half billion. So United, we at least, like worst case is five billion, five and a half somewhere there. Yeah. So from from their perspective, investment, right? They've done one. They're they're not top glove, lah. Let me put it that way. But yeah. the recruitment, yes, the recruitment is very uh very top glove, like. Yeah, I think I think we are we are talking about the management of the business here. Yeah. You know, I think what 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 any businesses should should do is more is to do something like more of an Arsenal and less of a Manchester United. Yeah, actually, you know what? Actually, you know what? <laughs> because I'm, I'm because Arsenal because Arsenal at this point of juncture is like. Whatever sh- whatever crap that has been thrown at them uh, and the management, 
because of you know their losses lah and where they were and you know how much they are, they became like a laughing stock of the of the football community right they they stuck their guns on 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 the person that they believe is going to turn around the the, the yeah. company and they came up with like a a blueprint on what they are going to do in the transfers they they going to only uh, buy young players right and they stick by they stick by what they believe lah throughout all the tragedies tragedies and now it's it's paying uh, it's paying it's paying out do do you think that <clears throat> then arsenal fans uh it was very unfair how they treated arsenal Wenger? yes really yeah i think we are we have and myself included you know we have been ping-ponging whether we are arteta in arteta out and really yeah whether or not this because I, if i'm arsenal i'm arteta in right yeah. i mean it's easy for you to say right, right now but when you are when you are bottom of the table last true, year yeah. and all that you know and every single time you are losing to, true, true, to true. lousy lousy uh competitor also then you you feel like you know he's just not cutting it lah you know right, like right, he's right. too young and all that but uh yeah i think long story short um Stick by the manager. Stick to your principles. Stick to what you believe in, and have a blueprint on how you want to turn around the company, lah. But I mean, it was really difficult for Arsenal because when your, I think the key thing was the stadium, right? It was Emirates, and I think it was 07. Yeah, you shifted into the Emirates, and as a result, you had to sell that 2008 second place team, essentially all the top players, right, from Fabregas. Uh, yeah, the, that's that's the Sanya, old Arsenal. I'm just Sanya talking about the, the current situation of the past, say two to three years of Arsenal against Manchester but, United. No, but I mean, going back to the the Arsene Wenger yeah. uh, thing, right? Mm-hmm. I think where I felt it was harsh on Arsene Wenger was because you know he had to f- see all his star players go f- for the financial security, which then now ten years later, give or take, yeah. you are seeing the rewards. Yeah, we'll see lah. Because by right, right. the the, the, the owner supposed to take charge by then, right? But right, right. anyway, uh, that's yeah. coming back to the topic of yes, glove. Yes. <laughs> yes, yeah, glove. I, I've always felt that you know, um, in 2022, the only investable glove yeah, yeah, maker yeah. is uh, is Riverstone. Right. But as of today, uh, what has happened is you know, uh, we we have seen the Harta Legal and we have seen Riverstone's briefing of late. Uh, the, the the fact of the matter is the situation hasn't improved. You know, like people are. The the business owners of gloves, they have said that the overstocking, oversupply situation should improve by this time, right. and then after that they keep delaying the time, right? So, um, so I think that's that's where we are at the moment. I think the the massive sell off in Harta Lega recently, it's and and glove stocks in general is is right now is basically trying to price in um, sequential quarterly uh, reduction all the way until quarter four of this year. Um, if it is again beyond that, maybe you will have another round of sell-off. I'm not sure, but uh, that's basically where we are at the moment. Now the thing is, um, okay, so now that the price is like this, you know, um, should I invest for the long term? I think right, right. that is a, a, a question on what everyone think uh, the the industry is going to look like. Say. In a normalized period, because we all know that right now it is not really normalized yet. Like it's just, it's not yet equilibrium. So let's just say the question number one is: When do you think that the industry is going to go into equilibrium? And we are, I'm talking specifically on nitrile medical glove. So is it going to be 2023, 2024? And during that time, what do you think is going to be the uh, ASP and what is going to be the 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 margin like? You know and I think where it is also important also is that um, where is Malaysia as a percentage of the market Global, leadership yeah. position position in the world? Pre pre COVID was seventy five percent. Post COVID is it going to be seventy five percent or is it going to be less? Because 
of Inco and the Blue Sales and all these sort of uh, Chinese competitors and Thailand competitors. If it is going to be less than say uh, 70, say it's a 50%, then can you actually attach a historical uh, valuation to to the valuation of normalized time in the future? I think that's where I would say, you know, um, people should think about uh, yep. Glove. Um, but I just want to emphasize that in my opinion, you know, if we are going to invest in Glove, just try and stick to the best of the best. And uh, in my opinion, the best of the best is Harta Lega for, for the top four. Um, just because they have got the history and they have the track record that, you know, they, they have yep. been running it very well. Um, and... And yeah, basically, you you really need to to understand to to withstand this particular down down yeah. down cycle, lah. Yeah. Very enough. I think where it may get interesting is that when you start seeing, and we are already start seeing, you know, if you go to businessforsale.com or something like that, you already start seeing some glove companies that are up for sale That's already. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. So I think the smaller ones, uh, once they start selling out to bigger ones and all that, I think you are starting to see the consolidation. Yeah, hmm. interesting. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I think uh, what 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 for me at least it really reviewed who who is level headed and who isn't in this downturn. Yeah, yeah, and I I I also want to sort of like um, highlight this point as well that um, I think that the risk is also to trying to trying to understand what is um, China uh, glove makers goal. Because it is very difficult to understand what their goal is, you know. Like, what is their goal? Are they are they trying to really uh, take over market share? Um, how much losses can they take in? You know, I think in, an, an important fact that we know is that Inco is has got the strongest balance sheet when it comes to the amount of um, cash inside their uh, their their balance sheet, lah. But of course, in my opinion, they also have got the highest burn rate, you know. So. Um, how much more quarters of say losses can they take in? Uh, last quarter it was not loss making, but I don't know about this quarter. I think the results going to come out soon. But yeah, if this quarter is a is a loss, then how much more losses can they take in? So I think, and what is basically their goal? You know, like I have no idea. Like, does the government actually tell them? I don't care if you're loss making. You just have to keep producing and you have to keep expanding your glove capacity. I have I have no idea if that's the case. Right then. I don't know what's going to be the industry dynamics in the future, lah. Yeah, it's not a. Sometimes it's a too hard power, right? Yeah, of course it's a too hard power. But I think you know, Harta Lega now at one point six, one point seven. It's pretty interesting already, lah. The share price. Mm. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, before we end, uh, there's actually an exciting announcement, right? That uh, yourself and uh, oh, Starbucks um, wants to make. Yes, I think I just want to uh, share with everyone again just just one one more um, place to to take a look, you know, in, when it comes to your investment. Ah, um, and I think we did mention it uh, earlier um, about oil prices. Mm-hmm. I I do still think that oil price in the future, uh, or rather, going closer to winter, is going to be higher. Um, so I think it is an interesting space to take a look at the midstream oil and gas players. Um, I do have some positions over there, you know. Um, I think in Malaysia, in Bursa, you can take a look at the likes of like, uh, I don't know, Coastal Contracts and uh, Wasyong and even Yinsen. And I think uh, if, let's say, we're talking about globally, I think you can take a look at what John, uh, the company that John has always had high regards for, like Schlumberger and all those companies. 
because I don't know what's what's the term, but um, yeah, there is basically the gold mine, and there are like people that actually rents out the gold helmet and the gold diggers and everything. So I think the midstream um, oil and gas players in this quarter, we are already starting to see that they they are printing like uh, very good profits. So I I have a feeling that from this quarter onwards, they will continue to print very good profits. And I don't know if you saw last week, right, uh, MJ, or even this week, um, you know, like uh, Saudi Aramco. Oh yeah, the profits, right? Yeah, their profits like forty-eight billion, yeah, right? Apple, like, right? That's like the largest ever earnings in the history of earnings. Earnings, <laughs> you know, it's, it's as you mentioned, like, well, well, it's, it's bigger than like a Microsoft and Google and I don't know. If uh, they annualize their earnings, yeah. they will nearly be Malaysia KLCI's market cap. Serious, ah? Because it's fifty billion, right? So two hundred billion. Our market cap is something like. Uh, I want to say 250 mm-hmm. 1 trillion ringgit mm-hmm. so yeah one one year would be matching Malaysia's uh, market cap yeah it's amazing and and what they are doing with the money is basically they are coming back and Giving investing to, uh, uh, what uh, Masayoshi Sun yeah uh, <laughs> yeah and, and I think they are still bank. investing in, in some of the great stocks of the world so yeah. uh, I mean I, I guess to, to, to wrap up um, I mean I don't really want to be too downbeat but because I am actually uh, an optimist uh, I still think that in the long term um, say I don't know three years five years after after this entire saga is over um, I think you, st- you should still continue investing I am still investing every month on some stocks which are in my long term portfolio right like like your Tesla like the AEM just now we mentioned you know in 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 Malaysia, I think people know that I really like like uh, Megafirst and and a DNO, for instance, and PMB Tech. So I am still investing in in those uh, wealth portfolio for for the long term. Uh, just sort of like you know, um, inv- look at okay for for long term investment. I think it's important. It's not about timing the market, but it's about what you invest in. So you need to really really understand the company of which you are investing in and understand that they are going. You believe that they are going to be able to recoup whatever capital that you are pouring in at the moment, and yeah, I think you should be okay. Um, if if I can just share my, uh, I think just now I, you know you you asked me to share a little bit about my my business venture. Yes, you know, like um, even in my business venture. Um, so yeah, I mean, in the stock market, I think this one we we mentioned in the first uh, podcast that I did with FIRL, you know. There are always two lines. One is basically the business, and one is basically the share price, right? So the business has always or should always be on an upward trajectory. The businesses that you invest for the long term, the share price might goes up and down between the linearity of the upward curve. You know, sometimes it can be above the line, then it's a little bit overvalued for that particular period of time. Sometimes it's below, then you can actually buy it so that it's you know it it goes back to the lin- your average, pri- yeah, average price line. to to the linearity of the fair value of the business development. You know. Um, and and coming back, I just want to share like you know uh, even for the small business that I was doing, like yeah we 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 are facing all these challenges as well like uh, all our cost price like the plastic resins and the labor market is all going up but <clears throat> year on year we we keep sort of like um, we keep working hard and we we do more sales and we are taking away market share so. Um, in terms of business progression, it is on the upward curve, lah. And I think this is what you need to look at when it comes to long-term investment. 
Um, share price is one thing, but I think the the business fundamentals and where the business is going to go is another thing. Very good. Very, Stop very good. Um, yes. So now we leave the best part to the last, which is some updates, right? From from Stockbit. Very exciting. Oh, yeah, stuff. yeah. Um, I think that one I'll, I'll leave it to the team to announce. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think some the interesting right? yeah the in, some interesting updates uh, should be coming up for Stockbit. Um, we have been around. I think everyone can everyone knows everyone can download the app, um, and everyone can follow us on our social media. Uh, yeah, we've been around, man. Even even d- during this down market, our content is still going up. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Ah, actually, there's one more thing we forgot, which is your your ventures into private equity, right? Oh yeah, yeah. There's um, something that you wanted to talk about. I think I think not so much lah, but I just I just feel that you know um, because I do invest in some startups uh, companies, so I I do I do see the market uh, from that part of the coin as well, and I. I do feel that you know, for private equity space at the moment, it is very interesting time for them. I think because here we have got a uh, a bunch of companies that is finally trading at a healthy valuation level, for instance, you know, and you they can they have got like a lot of dry powder to invest in the best companies and the best management lah. Yeah, I think I think maybe uh, that's what I can share at the moment. If let's say you're looking for alternate investments, right. Um, you know, what what are your discoveries? I guess like tips. I mean, of course, you're a lot more familiar with the public space. But then going to the private space, what are some of the things that you've learned about yourself, and also how to be a better investor in this space? Yeah, I think you know a lot of people uh, feel that um, maybe a lot of people always, especially investors in the public market, they 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 feel like they they only sort of like um, I would say food is whatever is provided in the public space but i think you know um we shouldn't always we shouldn't just think that that is that um yeah i know you couldn't make into some of the um visits that that i and john made um, yep. but we actually have been going around and talk to public uh, sorry private uh, companies and just try to understand their businesses and you know um and see whether there is any opportunities to invest in them and all this sort of thing. Um, and even for pu- pu- public markets, actually a lot of the public uh, limited companies in Malaysia are now starting to open up ever since um, whatever hap- whatever had that ha- had happened in COVID period. You know, um, a lot of people, are, a lot of companies are actually starting to be a lot more transparent and they are a lot more um, open to say a factory visits and yeah. all that. You can just drop them an email uh, into the IR and and ask for a, a visit and just talk to talk to them talk to the management understand their business better i think um you know during during the downturn as much as you know maybe sometimes the best thing to do is to do nothing but if let's say there is other things to do for instance to really understand businesses uh by all means go and do it man fair enough all right man um as always a pleasure uh, speaking to you yeah, so uh, so so sorry. I don't know how long it's. Dragged. No, no, no. It's it's, it's <laughs> we are pretty much uh, on time, you know. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for for coming on. Very lo- really looking forward to that uh, stock bid uh, announcement. Uh, yep, yep. Still very tight lip, but I understand why because it's a uh, big news, big news. 
Yeah. And uh, guys, hope you enjoy uh, this uh, particular pod and you like, you know, this sort of content, you know, go, you know, check out all our other podcasts. We are also on Spotify. And, uh, you know, I will, uh, you know, thank you for coming on. And we Thanks will for inviting, uh, see man. you guys uh, when we see you guys.